Hayden Thompson here and welcome to the Pack Heavy podcast. Now this podcast is for anyone who works in the hospitality and food manufacturing industries who use flexible packaging to get their products to market. Featuring interviews with guests who have traveled the path that you're on so that you can learn from their successes and failures and engage in the mindset required to go all in on your vision. I call this mindset the pack heavy mentality and it's primarily driven by deliberate action and extreme organization. You gather market intelligence, put a strong plan in place, organize the appropriate resources, and then confidently test your hypothesis against reality. So if you're ready to pack heavy on your vision, you're in the right place, and I'm excited to have you here. G'day, and welcome to episode 84, where today I have guest David Schneiderman, who is the co-founder and CEO of Two Bears Coffee. Now founded in 2014 and located in Toronto, Ontario, Two Bears Coffee sell craft roasted beans, flash brewed non-dairy froth lattes and unsweetened oat milks. Their products can be purchased online and delivered in the USA and Canada through their own web store, as well as amazon.com and .ca and can be found in thousands of retail locations right across Canada. Now on today's episode, David and I cover a lot of ground with a big focus on the Two Bears startup story, their iteration from cold brew to flash brewed coffee and the big decision to introduce oat milk to their lineup. David also discusses his multiple successes and failures throughout the years and the value of teaming up with his co-founder, Joe Angelotti, and the huge impact that working with a business advisor has actually had on their business. So this was an outstanding conversation. I really enjoyed it, and I think you're going to really enjoy it too. But before we get stuck into the show, I recommend that you head on down into the show notes, click on their website, and make the most of the 15% off at the checkout that you'll receive when you use the promo code PACKHEAVY15. Enjoy. David, welcome to the show. Thank you. Mate, I've been looking forward to having a chat with you. I actually came across your brand. It would have been in 2015, 2016, when I believe you must have just got distribution out here in BC with your cold brew. You were just getting started in that world. Yeah, we um, we, we started, well, I mean, I was hand bottling and yep. hand labeling and making cold brew out of a bar that would close at two in the morning. And then right. I subletted the kitchen. Yeah. And then I sold it out of the trunk of my car and just like uh, the old fashioned way. Yeah. I got five stores, 10, 20. Yeah. And I just got super lucky that, you know, got a distributor. Yeah. And we got into Whole Foods nationally. Yeah. So then we got a, a national distribution. We became the first company in Canada to sell uh, cold brew coffee nationally. Huge. And, you know, back at that time, so I had just moved back to Canada. Uh, my wife's Canadian. And uh, we decided to come back to Canada in 2015 after spending time back in Melbourne while I was at university. And uh, I was managing a cafe at the time from 2012 to 2015. And we were making our own cold brew there as well. And we were doing some uh, drip, like some slow drip and like a few other sort of cold brew methods too. And it was just starting to get to a point where you did see some on the retail shelf. So when I came across, I started working at Salt Spring Coffee again as their food mm. service sales manager. And, uh, and Salt Spring at the time decided to have a crack at cold brew. So they built their own facility in the uh, in the roastery. And we were obviously tasting everybody's on the market. And your bottle was up there quite frequently for us to taste. So yeah, really cool to actually sit down and have a chat with you. Yeah, I remember I would see Salt Spring at all all, all the uh, the different events. Yeah. And you know, at, at that point, there was a whole different bunch of people trying to make cold brew yep. and figure it out. And it was it was extremely hard to scale up and yep. make it at that point. And yep. people um, weren't educated into what it was. Yeah. And on the other end, for people like us in Salt Spring, we didn't have access to the the equipment that wasn't invented yet. So no, like, you have to be a real right. pioneer yeah. at that point. Yeah, yeah. Look, it was piecemeal together between like, you know, brewing vats from, you know, the wine industry 
And yeah, it, it was out of control. And like, to be honest, the team here at Salt, well, at Salt Spring, just down the road where I am right now, they did an amazing job of like trying to put a program together. But at that time, there were a lot of challenges. And I'd love to sort of dig into the challenges that you had, because you've obviously come out the other side of it. And, you know, you're still in the market. I noticed that you have pivoted and you've got quite a few other SKUs out in the world as well. And I was sort of love to sort of get your take on um, at what point you decided to diversify your portfolio of products. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the conversation because obviously with me coming from the coffee world as well, and you know, I'm in the packaging industry now too, and uh, but I do keep close ties to the coffee industry. So yeah, really nice to, you're actually the first person from the coffee industry on the podcast as well. So welcome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And, and, and the word is pivot because the funny yeah. thing is we don't even make cold brew coffee anymore. Yeah. Got, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you've got the product in a can though, don't you? But it's more of like an oat milk latte beverage, isn't it? Well, so, so the first, there, there's been so many iterations yeah. and, and as you scale up in, in any business, mm. you learn, uh, there's, there's, there's a learning curve and, and with coffee, especially we're learning that, you know, at a certain volume, um, you need to be shelf stable, yeah. which means, yeah. okay, you know, it needs to exist, not in a fridge and not ch- change the taste or obviously anyone yeah. gets sick from it. Yeah. And when we scaled up, we, we quickly learned the only way to make the cold brew shelf stable was why was like acidifying and it ruined the taste oh, um we made it, it by the time i realized it wasn't good it was like almost lost the business yeah. and you know yeah and, and and so you know when when that comes and you're against the wall and, and it's like stay open or close mm-hmm. you got to figure out things real quickly and so i landed up saying you know what i better become an expert in coffee like yeah. i love the selling and i love so much of this business yeah but i'm not an expert the coffee roaster I was buying beans from, his name was Joe Angelotti. Mm. He was going to Colombia. I didn't know the guy. He's just like, yeah, I'm going on a coffee trip. And I spoke to him once a month and he was telling me this. I'm like, dude, you got you to gotta let me come on that trip. Like, just, just let me know where to arrange my flight and I'll meet you there. Yeah. Went to Colombia with him, visited some farms. That's when I got the bug. I'm just like, this is what I'm doing for life. I'm building like a coffee company. I'm going to become an expert. Yeah. Started learning about coffee. And I was like, you know what? Joe has been doing this for 10 years. He's mm-hmm. roasting. The best way to become an expert is to partner with one. Yep. So we made a deal that um, we just split our company half, half with his roaster and, and what he was doing with what I was doing. Yeah. It was like literally a, a, a napkin like on a, on a piece of a napkin. Yeah. And the one thing that was really interesting to me is he said, I know your company's called two bears cold brew. Mm. We're deleting cold brew. We're never making cold brew again. That's he taught decision. me all about <laughs> what, and, and this was scary for, yeah. for me. Cause I, yeah. I thought like cold brew is going to be the next biggest thing. This yeah. is, you know, 2015. I think we all did. I like, we all did, you know, it was sort of at the same time that kombucha was really taking off. And, uh, you know, Stumptown were making it big, uh, Station Cold Brew. I think that just appeared on Dragon's Den. It must have been around that time as well. Or was that a little bit later on? But anyway, they were out in the market too. Yeah. They were were on Dragon's Den a few years late. Was it? Yeah. What, what I was like, oh my God, how's this business going to survive without Cold Brew? We're called Two Bears Cold Brew. Yeah. He's like, listen, we got to be quality focused. And it's about the best iced coffee, the best cold coffee. So yeah. Who cares how it's made? He's like, forget the trends. Yeah. That's what I really respect about Joe. He's, he's more of an artist. So mm-hmm. um, he taught me about flash brewing. And he's like, coffee is meant to be brewed with hot water. You get the good oils and sugars. And so let's extract the good flavors. Yeah. Then let's flash chill it so we, it doesn't go bitter. 
and you'll see it'll be a much better cold coffee like a japanese style yeah yeah exactly and so that's that's essentially what we did yeah and now we had three flavors of flash brew Mm -hmm. so right off the bat it tasted better yeah he's like listen I own a few cafes, 75% of my sales or 85% of my sales are lattes. Uh-huh. I'm, I was kind of that health freak, you know, that, that weird kid that used to like smuggle grapes into a movie theater. And um, I was like, I want to make it healthier for you. I want plant-based, uh, you know, and he's the one that said, we got to do oat milk. Mm. Now, when we, th- now we're talking a few years later, that's probably in 2018. Nobody knew what oat milk was. I had no idea what he was talking about. Uh, I was just like, almond milk ruins soy. the taste. Yeah. Soy is yeah. no good. Yeah. And um, we were like, I'm like, I trust Joe implicitly. We figured out how to make oat milk. Mm. The first year, everyone loved the taste, but they were still confused with what's oat milk. Mm. But, you know, we started to get some traction, some super specialty places understood what we were doing. You know, uh, you're showing up with a nitro can of oat latte. Mm. It seems so normal now, but back yeah. in the day there, you know, it's like, what's oat. Yeah. So, you know what? It started to build some traction and then like Oatly blew up. Mm-hmm. And then they basically paid the marketing to educate consumers. Yeah. And we've just been in the right place, at the right time and following the idea of let's only do what tastes the best. Mm-hmm. And it seems to keep working out for us. So yeah, yeah. Um, we started, yeah, so it's a flash brewed coffee mixed with oat. We have yeah. vanilla one. Uh, we started with the vanilla and the regular. Yeah. And, you know, we started with a salted caramel. And yeah. we're like, let's do some teas. Why not a match and chai oat latte? Yeah. Um, and then we decided we got to figure out how to do a barista oat milk because even at the cafe we had, mm. we were using minor figures, which is from the UK. It's delicious. It, and we're like, why are we in the country with the second most oats in the world? Mm-hmm. And the only good oat milk we could find is from the UK. Yep. This is crazy. So that was kind of the aha moment where we're doing one liters, whatever it takes. And we are going to be the premium oat milk of Canada. Yeah. And so to this day, our goal is not to be the biggest, it's to be the best mm-hmm. and to be that high end solution for Canadians that are looking for something better. Yeah, no, mate, there's so much to uh, to work back through there. I want to just go right back to the very spark of the idea, though, with cold brew. Like, what were you doing before you got started in the industry or, like, before this idea came along? Like, where were you? Oh, my God. I mean, I've, I've done so many random different things. I've had the bug since I was, like, I think 13 years old. I've been doing some sort of something. Yep. I mean, from making mix CDs and selling them in high school, <laughs> yeah. Um, to uh, I, I actually had a little cafe when I was I think, 21 years old. Yeah. I had a little cafe with a salad bar. Oh, cool. And again, nobody had like, you know, selling like $18 salads, you know, almost 20 years ago. Yeah. And the idea was flopping because people were all like, like Subway's was the healthiest thing yeah. in back then. Yeah. And so even though I had a few loyal people, the business was failing. So I got lucky. I got one uh, corporate client who asked for like, you know, 20 salads and I pre-did it. Yeah. And then boom, I was like corporate catering. I shut the doors of the restaurant that was failing. Yep. And, and I, I went with a resume saying I did corporate catering for this company. I got a bunch of law firms, accounting firms, and turned that into a um, corporate catering company oh. of he- healthy foods. Yeah. 
I just how old it is. I, I sold, I put an ad in the newspaper, sold it to the yep. first person that read the ad and came in. Yeah. I, uh, traveled through Southeast Asia and, um, <laughs> and smoked the rest of it. I bet you did. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, my young twenties, you Mate. know? Yep. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so that was, that was that. And then I, um, I was managing and running a bunch of bars. So I had two, I was a partner in two bars for a while, like pubs. Yep. And I, I, I mean, I loved it for the first year mm. and then it just became like more of a nightmare when you're drinking every day and, and yep. nightlife staying up till five in the morning. Yeah. It's not healthy. Yeah. And so I kind of had that thing where it's just like, what do I want to do every day? And, um, I was like, I love traveling. I love meeting people. I love doing sales. Mm. And so I just had to think backwards of something I could make that helped me travel across the world and meet people. Yeah. And so it just fell into my lap, the cold brew coffee, more as a conceptual lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, whatever I do, I have to be happy in the journey so if it flops and it doesn't work like other things i have done yeah that i'm like oh well you know what damn like i went to columbia i went here i went there and it was fun you learned a lot on the way yeah yeah it was it the old expression the the journey is the destination that's true yeah Yeah. i agree with that one so you came across cold brew was it the taste as well were you was it like something that you were like holy shit like this is something i need to get to market because i don't see it out there either and if it's prepared properly like it could be a really popular beverage like what was sort of the signs that you saw in the product back at that early stage before there was like you know much in the out in the world that you're like this is something that we could bottle and that we could get out into the world so, so it was, it was a little of both. I was uh, a nice coffee drinker. I was part mm-hmm. of that, like uh, 5% of Canadians that like pretty much only drink iced coffee. Yep. And I was addicted to the Starbucks Frappuccino, which had 48 grams of sugar. sugar. Yeah. I was, I was chugging two a day. Um, and so all the other iced coffees, you know, it, like just tasted so bitter. So when I tasted cold brew, I'm like, this is amazing. The balance. Yeah. But you couldn't find it anywhere. When, when I moved to Toronto, I don't even think there was five cafes that, that in the whole city that even sold it. Uh-huh. And so that was kind of a aha moment where I'm like, if I bought all this, this is insane. I could definitely sell this. And I'm, I'm, I'm a salesperson. I love yeah. it. Yeah. So I was like, okay, let's just, let's just bottle and sell it. And um, the best place in the city was this cafe that was called Northwood, a mm. bar on Bloor in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I walked in and I was just like, listen, dude, I've been everywhere. Yours are the best in the city. You know, why don't you make it? I'll sell it. We started doing that. His bar was so busy. He was, um, he's voted the best cocktails in Toronto. Oh, wow. And yeah. the guy is so cool, Richard Poe. So he's just like, listen, I don't have time for this. You keep using my place until you find another place. We made us like an amicable deal at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just gave me the formula. And um, I mean, we're friends to this day. Yep. He's literally was just too busy. Yeah. And um, anyway, so it kind of grew out of that. Yeah. Amazing. So you got it in a bottle and you started hustling it and there was some, you know, pretty early signs that, that, that the idea had some traction. Um, you know, when I was at Salt Spring and I was out there selling it, we were putting it in a keg and we're also selling it in bottles too. And, you know, 
a six pack of, um, of cold brew was kind of easy to sell because there was a low barrier to entry. You could get it into someone's hands pretty easily. I'm talking business to business. So mm-hmm. whether it was a bar or retailer, but the kegs seemed really hard to push because the bar just couldn't get through a keg in time. And a consumer can only really drink one sort of like serving of cold brew because the gut rot that you get. So how did you, was that some of the, the issues that you found with the product at that early stages as well, that it was sort of, you know, you go into a bar, you can have a couple of beers, you can have a couple of, you know, sodas, whereas you can only really have one cold brew. So you sort of limited there. Was What sort of like um, barriers did you come up against? So we never went after the keg market. That yeah. was the first thing. We really were just trying to get those bottles into mass retail. Mm-hmm. We wanted to get a high-end product into all the specialty and natural stores. Yeah. And so it started off, I would go to all the uh, farmer's markets, you know, wake up at 4.30 in the morning. Yep. And and that crowd was super open to buy six packs. And then yep. that's kind of what built the name in Toronto and then um, got us into a, a lot of these specialty places. Yeah. Um, but what I noticed very quickly is they loved it at the farmer's markets, but when you started to go a little more mass, um, I like zero sugar, Yeah. Um, but uh, most people don't like bitter and the, the delicious acidities of coffee. Yeah. So unfortunately I couldn't get it to be a bigger product. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I was, I was like, how do I keep to my, my ethics of a healthier for you? but still appease the masses. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I started playing around with natural flavors and then I was cold brewing cacao and mixing natural chocolate in it mm-hmm. and putting like eight grams of organic cane sugar. And then the drink became really delicious, balanced and like, you know, it's, it's still a, you know, 60, 70% less sugar, no, nothing artificial than yeah. Starbucks. And then, yeah. you know, once I figured that out, that's when it started to really get traction was mm. that pivot. It wasn't black cold brew. That was mm-hmm. like such a small market. And yeah. to this day, incredibly still. Small. Yeah. yeah. I'm wondering, you know, one of the reasons that I wanted to also speak to you is because like you do see Stumptown still on the shelf to this day and they are still peddling it. Like they're still motoring along. And I was really surprised by that because <clears throat> with the company is sort of the size of Stumptown, I would assume that it's such a small percentage of their sales. It wouldn't even really be, but they wouldn't really, it, my assumption would be that like, why would you bother? You know what I mean? But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it like the straight up cold brew, maybe it does have quite a bit of traction still. Like what are your thoughts there? So it's it, 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 it's a little both. First of yeah. all, they're 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 consume they're in the states. Yeah. So yeah. you're talking about yeah, a market, market. Uh, you know, yeah. over ten times bigger than ours, and and they have warmer clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, uh, climate. Yeah. So they're 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 consuming cold coffee more often in the states. Mm-hmm. So if you take that, you know, let's say it's five percent of the market, it, it's still a large enough market that you can move volume. Yeah. In a, and it's probably bigger there because of the the fact they're just a few years ahead of us when it comes to this whole cold coffee thing. Yeah. So, you know, you go into a Whole Foods, there may be 10 brands, 12 brands in the States or, mm. or a Publix. Um, whereas in Canada, you know, you're lucky if you see three, four brands here. Mm. And I mean, the majors, uh, without saying names, they still don't realize that these drinks should be in the fridge. They're trying to put them on the shelf. Mm. So we are, we are sadly like, three to five years behind the States when it comes to cold coffee. Mm. Um, I drink uh, the black flash brew every single morning. Yeah. And so we're still catering out of love man. and yeah. there still is a market. It's just, yeah, we, we, we don't have the, the fridge space um, yeah. 
in, in Canada. Yeah, got yeah. So talk to me a little bit about shelf stable and what that means for you. So you're obviously in a can now. So you move from a bottle into a can, which tells me that you're also working with a third party. So are you doing your own brewing and then getting your product to a co-packer and then they're packing it for you? Or how does that sort of side of the business work? Well, what what we did um, is actually, you know, I say we, uh, that is my partner that really deserves a lot of credit. So uh, we knew it had to be in a can, prolong the shelf stable, uh, shelf stability, the length, the taste, because you add the nitrogen, makes it creamy. So it had to be in a can. Um, So we just literally bought some some equipment from Alibaba. We had no money, we had a thousand square foot facility. Uh, My partner could fix anything. So we were like six people doing six cans a minute. Oh, wow. But I mean, we just had heart. And yeah. we were willing to do it. So yeah. uh, we we got to the point, we did a million cans in, in a year in a thousand square feet. I mean, I'm talking, we would take pallets, put them outside, bring them back inside because we had no space. Yeah. We, just, we just did what you had to do to make it happen. Yeah, yeah. So then we were able, uh, it was like two years ago to get a nice uh, equipment loan from the government, like yep. a government backed loan. Yeah. We bought a ton more equipment. We made a deal with a co-packer where it was a joint venture. So it's all of our equipment. Nobody can use it. Yep. Um, we go there all the time. And so it, it's kind of the perfect deal, whereas yeah. we have the SQF and we can pack, but um, it, it, it and we don't have to concentrate on it because it's not our expertise, yeah. but it still is ours. It's like a, like a hybrid model. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. Did it take you a while to sort of arrive at that model as well? Or were you sort of all options were on the table when you were sort of sussing it out? No, we, it took us a long time because um, one of the unique selling features is it's extremely hard to make this in a can, make it shelf stable, mm. make it taste good. Yeah. And so we didn't want to give out that kind of IP to anybody. And um, we're like, we have to do it ourselves. And if there's a co-packer, uh, we, we have to have the rights and, and they can't do it because um, if we're going to teach someone how to do this, um, it, it's got to be ours. So it, it was extremely difficult. I, I mean, in hindsight, would we have been bigger had we done it years before? Maybe. I, I don't know what I don't know. Yeah. But um, this model is really working out. That's great. And when we eventually do private labeling in the next year, yeah, um, okay, we'll um, we'll we'll own it, so it, it won't be somebody else private labeling. We'll control who we do it for. Oh, that's fantastic, mate. Talk to me a little bit about like um, the development of your flavor profiles and your skews. So I'd imagine you'd start in house and you know start to build up a bit of an understanding of what you really like, and then maybe you have a test market that you go out to and you do some sampling. Like, what's your process there? We um. Because of the coffee background of Joe, our roaster, Jason, yep. and um, uh, Ryan, who's worked with us, they just have such a, if you could cup coffee, you, mm-hmm. you know, you can almost taste anything. It, yep. It's a real advantage. Um, they taught me that. And now even when I go out with buddies and drink a beer or wine, I'm getting all those those notes and it's just so much more enjoyable it or less nice. in yeah. a way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so it's really that we, we're really able to nail down the taste profile we want. Yep. Then we'll go to um, a few different people and see what they say. And I have to say at the beginning, we didn't listen as much as we should. Mm-hmm. Whereas now um, it, it, we realize how little we know and you've got to listen to the consumer. Mm. So we really will get as much feedback as possible from our target market. Because you can also get, there's a lot of noise out there. You know, um, my dad might not like it, 
but you know, he's a 75 year old guy who's been drinking, you know, uh, sweet cow milk for a yep. while, Yeah. you know, so that, that I'd say is, um, if I were to tell anybody what little advice I could give is, is make sure you ask your target market, what they think, listen, uh -huh. yeah. and, and, and keep fixing it. And yeah. we've, we've had many iterations, um, yeah. qu quite frankly, we still to this day, uh, will make small, minute changes, uh, per batch. Mm -hmm. Just like a roast, just like a roast profile, you're always constantly improving, constantly making adjustments according to yeah how things are turning out at the end. I think that's a really interesting approach. How did you go about finding who your target audience is? Like I'm sure you that you had assumptions out there, but how did you actually get out there and test and you know figure out exactly who your consumers were? Well, so at the beginning, um, you got to remember I'm 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 a 40 year old dinosaur. Uh, so my methods were, were not very digital. Literally, I'd sit at a place and watch who picked it up yeah. and then go and ask them what made you pick it up. And that worked for me. Um, but obviously, as the world has progressed, we can see that kind of data on, uh, you know, like Facebook and yep. Instagram. And yep. So we, 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 we look at the data, not my, my dinosaur methods are passe. And we look at the information on like the analytics. Yeah, it's good to stick to the basics though. You know, especially those face-to-face -face initial conversations are probably some of the most um, important conversations to have because you can have a conversation about, you know, the feel of the bottle in the hand, the way that it was, you know, the brand, you know, the emotive experience of the brand. And, you know, you can ask those kind of questions, whereas you've got to really dig deep to sort of get that data from a digital source. So that was really cool. Where you sort of looking um, like, did you have many iterations on your uh, early development of your brand that you were developing as well? Or how did sort of that then, you know, sorry, let me rephrase it. When you were developing your brand, how did you come across, a, come at, how did you come to your first version of your brand? Of like the two bears. Yeah. The two bears and... brand, because that's iterated and it's in a beautiful place. Like right now. I love it. Like your website's clean. Your whole brand is clean and it fits beautifully. Like when I saw you guys at the trade show at the CHFA, like I really like the setup of your booth as well. And uh, at first I didn't put two and two together that you were the same business. So when I dug into it, I was really excited to know who you were in your early days. And I'm like, okay, I'd love to know how you arrived here. Yeah. So, so, I mean, uh, it's not a complex answer. It's really just, it did what I, what I was able to do. So yep. the first design was a guy that was sleeping on my couch was a designer. <laughs> <I love> it. <laughs> yeah. And, and he did a great job and it was a super cool design and we printed labels and, and worked with that. Yeah. Um, at a certain point when I merged with Joe and it really became from two bears, cold brew to two bears brand. Yeah. Um, we got this incredible company called Central Station um, in Toronto, and they designed the brand with that. With it had to be, um, it had to look high end, mm -hmm. but, um, but uh, what's the word? Um, like approachable. approachable? Yeah, yeah. You know. And, and so high end, approachable, and we wanted it to be outdoorsy, fun, Canadian. Yeah. yeah. And so we came up with the single bear. And just like a very, we, we wanted it to be where you would look at that logo and you wouldn't need the words two bears. You'd just be like, I know that brand. Yeah. Yeah. And think of something like, you know, in bears, everyone always says like my niece, I call her Katie bear. Yeah. And you always call someone you love, you add the name bear to them. Yeah. So we just wanted, <laughs> we just wanted uh, something to go with all of that. And everything we do is really simple. So even when you see us at this trade show, like we don't have any investors, um, yeah. We don't have outside money. 
So it's really just a simple design on a simple banner. And we try and make it look as good as possible. We go to as many shows as possible, like uh, Expo West in Anaheim. Uh And you know what? We'll go see what those uh, companies in the States that are spending like three, four, five hundred thousand dollars on a booth. Yeah. And I'll just write tons of notes. Yeah. And we just try and repurpose with the our style and you know and, and make it work. You're making it work, mate. It's yeah, I I think that you have found a really nice place there. Like you said, the brand is approachable, it's clean. Um, and it does suggest everything that you're saying. So that was really cool. Um, what was the initial feedback like when you guys did do the brand swap? Was it like people recognized that it was the same business or was the, how was the rollout? Well, thankfully they, they didn't because, uh, you know, at one point by the end, um, I was using a co-packer for the glass bottles because it got too big that I physically, like I was doing 80 hour weeks and I couldn't bottle enough. And pallets of bottles as well, which are heavy and yeah, take up a lot of space. Yeah. It's crazy. uh, I give you hours of disasters. Yeah. So we had switched to a co-packer for just cold brew. Mm-hmm. But the product was tasting like crap, as I was saying. So um, by by the time um, we had switched and did everything, I was perfectly content that um, I had some really good relationships where the retailers knew who Two Bears was and who yeah. I was. Yeah. But uh, the consumer uh, was getting a, a delicious new product. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the oat that you're packing in your Tetra. Like, uh, is that something you're sourcing the raw ingredients and you're getting someone to produce it for you as well? Like what's the process there? We, so we, we make it and then, yeah, yeah, we're, we're that you need a co-packer because you're talking $50 million uh, facility. I can imagine. Yeah. And, and, and that, that there's not much complexity. Once you've got a tasty oat milk, putting it in the carton is not complex. It's just an expensive piece of equipment. Got you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's what we do. It's in Canada and, um, it was wild when we first started. Um, nobody would take our business. They, they, uh, everyone in Canada, we were way too small. They wouldn't put it in a Tetra pack. And uh, we literally shipped. I learned, I learned the best Spanish I could. I went to a trade show in Mexico. We were sending oats, Canadian oats to Mexico, mm-hmm. manufacturing there. I'd, you know, in the middle, uh, like hours outside of Mexico City. Wow. And, uh, fi- and we just figured out how to make it there. And we'd ship containers of Tetra Packs back here, like yeah. one, well, one container at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, I, that's how we launched. At the end of the day, it, the product, um, it was the nicest facility I've actually ever seen in my life. Yeah. But... Uh, they didn't have the right like filtration and stuff. So the product wasn't good enough. Yes. But you know what? It, it helped us grow to where we're big enough that a Canadian co-packer accepted us. Yep. And uh, so everything worked out in the end, but we took some crazy chances. Imagine like sending tens of thousands of dollars, like E-Trans, uh, not E-Trans, wiring it to a yep. company in Mexico that you've yep. never done business with. Yeah. There was uh, there's sleepless nights. Like, uh Dude, I can imagine, but you've also come from the experience of working with green coffee as well and buying that in countries elsewhere. So it's a very, very similar vein, but for somebody that hadn't had that experience, I can imagine it would have been more sleepless nights. So, you know, going down to Mexico and getting this operation started, like that would have been really fun too. Oh yeah. And and listen, I'm a traveler. I've lived out of a bag and for months on end. And so uh, the experience was crazy fun because before obviously sending the money, I was like, listen, uh, I got to learn the culture and like, yeah. uh, how's a deal done there? And uh, I, I'm lucky I have some Mexican friends and such a cool culture. Yeah. And they're like, 
deals aren't done with numbers. They're like, they won't even listen to you or take your business. You have to go meet someone, go out for dinner with them, and you're going to have to go drink a ton of tequila. Okay. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and that's, and that's, uh, that's essentially what we did. Wow. And, you know, after, uh, you know, uh, a bunch of glasses of tequila, a delicious dinner, um, I was like, this guy's amazing. The, and, and uh, to, still to this day, we're friends yeah. and we'll probably land up doing something else together. In, yeah. in, and so uh, it was really fascinating to learn how much more business is done by relationship there. And so after that, that like, you know, two days of, of, of meeting this person and, you know, um, I, 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 that's when we were comfortable sending it. Yeah. Uh, I don't so. doubt it for a second. It sounds to me like, you know, there are so many people that sit on the fence with a business idea or they get going with an idea and it's just not perfect yet. And they're afraid to get out to market and get that feedback and iterate on it until they're selling something that's, you know, perfect. It doesn't seem to be an issue with you. Like you just get going, you just get out to market, even though like, I'm, I'm not saying that what you're putting out isn't perfect when you're putting it out there, but you're not afraid to consistently keep on improving and improving and throughout the process until you arrive to where you are today. So for somebody that's there and they're like, this just isn't quite right yet. Like what advice would you give them? Well, you know, that, that I see tends to be the, the true artiste who lands up making the best product or the best anything, yeah. but doesn't sell it to anybody because they're never ready. Mm. And, you know, it, not to sound cheesy, but a good plan today is better than the perfect plan tomorrow. Yeah. So as long as you're willing to constantly improve, just start. And you know what? If you sell 10 and five are returned, fix it go sell another 10 the next day and i wasn't i didn't care i was down to lose money listen i lived in my grandmother's in, in her spare room like yeah. um yeah. so I, I was doing it to have a good time and to figure it out and so yeah. you know if, if you really truly are going to enjoy the process then then stop waiting for the end result to be perfect and just get out there because yeah. quite frankly the only way to ever have a perfect product yeah is to get rejected a bunch of times. Yeah, that's that is it, isn't it? And you've also got to be fully emotionally invested in it as well, which you seem to be. So, you know, are you the kind of guy that's like one track vision, like this is me, I'm in day in, day out, like this is me? Like how how does your mind work when it comes to business like that? It's 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 uh it's it's a disease that um I'm trying to uh um take um I like not, not pills for it, but I mean, I, at the end of the day, I'm way too involved. I can say and that I'll do this yeah. 80 hours. I'll yeah. live out of a car. I'll give up my personal life. Yeah. And so I'm actually really trying, like, I will not do 80 hours. I try not to, I, I like, I do anything to not look at my phone on Sunday and not answer emails, yeah. keep it to six days. Yeah. Uh, stop answering. I say uh, the best I can from like 6 PM. So I'm still doing like, seven to six yeah but yeah listen even on my free time um you'll catch me in a whole foods and then i'm walking around and see it accosting someone who's grabbing an oat milk and asking but i can't help myself it's it's uh it's like inside of me yeah the passion yeah, yeah. <laughs> i can see that um one of the things that i've noticed in entrepreneurs that are sort of got the same mindset and vision of you for their business is that you can sometimes get distracted by ideas as well so have you found that that's been something that you've had to work through in the past and how do you keep yourself on track? A age and failure. 
I mean, I, I used to be, okay, we're doing this idea. Okay, we're making freezies now with cold brew coffee. Okay, yeah. we're going to go make bag in a box and sell four liters. Yeah. And I used to have all these ideas and keep switching my focus. Yeah. But, you know, I, it's like necessity is the, is the uh, was it the mother of all inventions? It's the same, you know, it's a, you, you have no more money and you need to pay the bills. You can't sway your focus. So it's, um, I've really created a, a three-year plan that I very rarely change, you know, once every six months to a year, we'll adapt it, mm -hmm. but very small iterations. And um, so it's a business plan. It's staying focused. Mm -hmm. And I would say one of the wisest things we've ever done is we gave up 1% of the company to a true genius uh, consultant, uh, this guy, Vineet Kuran, who used to work at Unilever mm -hmm. and, um, he he really helps keep us focused on the big picture and and real strategy mm -hmm. and so um like speaking to smarter people has kept us focused how did you find him through luck you know networking joe my partner's uncle introduced us to a guy he worked for uh tom michaelis who was in the business yeah. another true genius guru been in the game 20 30 years yeah and, you know, having coffee with Tom introduced us to Vineet. Yeah. And so just good, pe good people sharing people and uh, word of mouth. That's awesome. So yeah. talk to me a little bit further about this advisor that you've got. Like, wh how often do you sit down with him? What, what do the strategy meetings look like? Is it sort of like a half day or a full day that you guys spend together? Or is it sort of piecemeal together over Zoom? Like, what does the actual interaction look like? We try and do about, you know, 15 to 30 minutes, five days a week. Oh, wow. Okay. It ends up being, you know, maybe three. Yeah. Yeah. And then we try and do like one or two power sessions a month where yeah. it's like a half day yeah. in person yeah. and really, you know, dig deep into a few different things, you know, where it'll be like, okay, this month we're only discussing like, like besides the, the daily tracking of what you make sure you're still on point yeah. is th those things will be like this month, we are ultra focused on sales and updating our sales plan. Next month, we're ultra focused on the people and job descriptions and tasks for each person. And, and, and so um, he, he's very good at that. No, that sounds amazing. And it sounds he's sorry. What was his name again? Vineet. Vineet. It sounds like Vineet is the perfect match for you as well, you know, to keep you on task. Because like I know for me, having a coach or having somebody behind me that can see my blind spots is absolutely critical. And I'm really lucky that I've found that person here at work <clears throat> in the office. But for somebody that doesn't have that person out there and is trying to find a Vineet and you're on LinkedIn or you may have a bit of a network, like what's the best way to go about actually finding that person that is your number one fan that may want to invest in your business or that you may potentially want to give 1% of your business away? Like what, how do you go out and find a Vineet? I, I truly think LinkedIn is, is the greatest tool ever. It, Isn't it? LinkedIn is what TikTok is to, to 15 year olds. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, it's life changing. I mean, yeah. I, am, I am on that. Uh, every single day, I make sure for 15 minutes every day. Yeah. Um, and honestly, there's so many nice people out there that it's just shocking. You know, yeah. uh, one example is I, you know, I was posting and writing, and um, a guy named Mike Fada. Oh, I know uh, he's awesome, isn't he? I follow. He's Mike a legend. Too. Yeah. And when yeah. when I tell you this guy has given me hours of his life for yeah. mentoring, 
yeah. for nothing in return but kindness. Yeah. And he's told me some stuff in our meetings that have changed the course of our business. I mean, That's I would have cool. made horrific decisions. Yeah. So I, I would tell people, get out there on LinkedIn, yeah. see someone you admire yeah. and ask. That's Listen, cool. what's the worst? They'll ignore you. I mean, I so you. what? Mate, I just had Margaret Coons from Nuts for Cheese, which obviously Mike's an investor in and also Jack Carls from uh, Midday Squares on. And, you know, Mike's invested in both of their business and I think also works as somewhat of a bit of a business mentor or an advisor as well. So yeah, I agree. Like he's so giving of his time. I like following him for not only his insights that he puts up on LinkedIn, but his podcast is great too. So mm -hmm. if anybody's listening to this podcast and they haven't heard that Mike's got a podcast out there, I'd recommend it. It's, yeah. a, uh, it's definitely a good... Um, it's a good way to use up an hour of your life and actually learn something from it too. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And you know what, above mentorship, I, I would say that like, honestly, the, you like you could get a full degree, a master's in anything you want on YouTube, you Agreed. know, whether it be yep. Simon Sinia, Gary V, yep. you type what you want to learn. And I mean, uh, you could become an expert. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your insights to marketing. Like what are some of the best um, little snippets that you've learned from marketing your brand along the way? Uh, you know, I, I'm 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 a complete idiot when it comes to marketing. I, I I really would feel terrible giving people instructions because with 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 the quality that we've created, um, we like we're, we're like an un, un like nobody knows us except for trying us. And so, you know, I, I only know those old school dinosaur tactics where we're out there at every event, at vegetarian trade yeah. shows, and so yeah. you know, pound the pavement. We've been we'll go to the park, uh, the busy parks and go give out, uh, you know, 200 cans. Cause once they taste it, you know, they'll become a client. So, you know, word of mouth and the old school gorilla styles are all I, I know. And that's yeah. what I'm good at. But, but in today's day and time, there's people that are so much smarter than me and I'm trying to learn because that's really where we are right now is we are, um, stepping up our marketing. I mean, we didn't have a website, like we had a, our website before COVID was one that I made on Wix. Yeah. You know? So yeah. uh, we changed a lot. We made that website and did all of that out of necessity during COVID. Yeah. And we've learned a lot about digital marketing. We've, we work with an agency uh, that does our ads. We hired someone who's amazing, Caitlin, who's doing our social and community management and, yeah. and email marketing. So it, it's truly a learning experience and, um, but I am, I am so far from an expert. So where are you an expert? It sounds to me like sales might be your jam, like getting out there and hustling the product. You said that you've been in sales your whole life as well, like in terms of like selling ideas, selling product. When it comes to sales, whether it's B2B or B2C, what's your approach? I mean, I listen, I'd say I'm a, I'm a jack of all trades, yeah. but expert of, of none. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not an expert in sales, but I love it the most. Like, yeah, it's good fun, isn't it? The high, yeah, the highs and the lows. I mean, you know, there's so many depressing moments where you just rejected <laughs> all that. Yes, there are. But yeah, yeah. it's like nothing anymore. It just makes me want it so so much. And so, selling is truly my passion, and trying to figure out the strategy and the psychology of like, of like truly figuring out what someone's problem is, and like, and and the angle of <laughs> of of how to get them to use two bears and. You know, so many people would want it, but they're busy and they don't want to change. And like, they just like, it's not their priority. And so yeah. you can say, yeah, you'll have a better product or even if it's the same price and they're just like, yeah, but now I got to do 10 different emails and tell this supplier. And so, you know, helping 
people solve their problems and you get the sale in the way um, has kind of been that mentality that I'm evolving into. Yep. And, and so, yeah, it's just, it's just so fun. Yeah, you're right. The sale is the natural evolution of the conversation. If you're actually like either helping people achieve their goals or, you know, helping them get from A to B or, you know, solving a problem like you were saying. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Mate, I've got a couple more questions for you. If you had the opportunity to go back to March, 2015 with the knowledge that you have now, what business advice would you, would you give yourself? I mean, the best advice that that's worked for us is, is mentors and, and, and experts in everything and speaking to them. So yeah. I would just have as many more experts as, and, and strategy as possible. Um, because that's every time we listen to an expert, like, like Paul Marsham, 30 years of experience would tell me to do something. Yeah. If I listened, it would work. <laughs> so yeah. I, the, the only thing I would really do is, is, is have a, um, I wish I had a dedicated expert in marketing, expert in sales, expert in, in finance, um, which I had people I could speak to, but I wish I spoke to them once a month Yeah. and, and, and really went over my strategy with them once a month. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. How big is your team that you've got at the moment? We're seven full time. Yeah. And then, um, you know, there's the, like a few different people that we, um, you know, we'll use as a consultant basis Outsource. or like yeah. 10, 20 hours a, yeah. Uh, yeah. a month. Oh, fantastic. Seven full time, like super awesome, passionate. Yeah. And it's so cool to have like, you know, it might not sound like a lot, but to us, we're, uh, it seems big to us. Seven no, people. I hear it absolutely does. And it's, if it's all you need, you might as well stay lean. You know, there's yeah. no need to grow too big in that space. It's an expense that your business can't, if it, if it doesn't need to take it on, there's no reason to. I, I don't think we'll ever need more than 12 people. Like I, I really truly think we can get to 30 million in the next two to three years with oh, 12 shit. people. That's amazing, mate. That's, that's the goal. That's it doesn't mean goal. it's happening. Bring it on. <laughs> well, this leads me to the next question. If you were to fast forward a year from now and you could say to me that you'd had your best year ever, what would you have accomplished? I mean, it's, it's, it's happening every year is, it's like, we're doubling every yeah. single year. I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're, I mean, we're, we're seven figures and, and eight figures around the corner and still small. And we reinvest every dollar. Like, listen, I, I, I'd like to say I take minimum wage, but I, I probably make seven bucks an hour. Yeah. I, I am putting everything back into this. Yeah. Um, the team is putting everything back into this. Um, so, so like we're, we're just, I, I, sorry, I got so lost and excited. I, I forgot even what the question was. <laughs> if you could say to me, oh, sorry, if you were to fast forward a year from now and you could say to me that you'd had your best year ever, what would you have accomplished? Um, it should be a chance that people could find us nationally in every single retailer yeah. because one of the complications we've had is like, people are like, where can we find it? Yeah. And so we are in a few national retailers now, like you could find our Tetra packs at Walmart and yep. hoping to get our cans in there shortly. Oh, and cool. Loblaws is testing us, but really we, we, we got to get in every national retailer. So you can have three cans and about lattes and three Tetra packs everywhere. Yeah. So people could find us easily. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd that love to see that too for you as well. And I did say that you just listed with Walmart. I saw that on LinkedIn. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's that that's been a real game changer. But the biggest, biggest win by far for us 
would be that every single specialty cafe in, in, in Canada yeah. steams two beers. Mate, I agree. That says a lot about a product when you've got baristas that are willing to use it day in and day out and pour a beautiful latte out and stuff with it. It says a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's like even even like, so we, we just got this really amazing cafe in uh, Toronto called Boxcar Social. I've heard of and it. Yep. it. Yeah. And, and so people that are in the industry who know Boxcar, yeah. like to us, listen, I'm not frowning on Walmart, but to tell you, I actually celebrated Boxcar more yeah. was just because like when, when that's affirmation, like yeah. that's that, that, like you are affirmed when, yeah. when someone like that is using your oat milk yeah. and oat latte. So, so like we really want, you know, the nemesis in Vancouver and, yeah. and some of these places really to, that's a, that's bigger than, 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 than sales and money. That's awesome. When you're out this way, where were you drinking your coffee? Um, I mean, there's quite a few places. I, yep. I was in uh, 49th Parallel, Magic, um, yep. ne- Nemesis. I think I put on five pounds uh, going back <laughs> and forth there. Their 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 pastries are disgustingly good. Aren't they? I know. Yeah. The bread's good to it, Matchstick. Yeah. Awesome, mate. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, you have provided us with a promo code, which was extremely generous too. And I'll put that down in the show notes for everybody listening today. And if there was anybody that wanted to reach out with to you and have a good conversation about um, some of their business ideas and potentially you could help them, what was the best way for them to get in touch? LinkedIn's the best. I really try my best to respond. Uh, to be brutally honest, I'm not as good as I should be, yeah. but I try, I try the best I can on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, listen, mate, thanks very much for your time. It's greatly appreciated. Thank you. Thanks again for taking the time out of your busy day to join me for today's episode. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation or if you've got any questions, feel free to shoot me an email at hayden at thepackheavypodcast.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn or Instagram at thepackheavypodcast. And if you'd like to learn a little bit more about how I can help you with your business and your packaging vision, feel free to drop me a line and we'll continue the conversation there too. I'll see you next week.